Hey, welcome back to the 94th episode of the OpFact cast. If you're just joining us, uh, maybe you don't know what's going on, but we are now in the middle of the 2020 Whoopathon, where a group of brave podcasters are doing what no one has done before and going through all the comedic works of Whoopi Goldberg. And I, I can't speak for the other people on this podcast, but for me personally, it's, it's broken my spirit. It's ruined my marriage. Uh, I've lost all my kids. Uh, living on the streets. This is, I'm, I'm a broken man. Sean, how you feeling? Thriving. Thriving. That's good. That's good. How has Whoopi Goldberg just kind of enriched your life? Do you want to, you want to speak to that a little bit? Oh, how has she enriched my life? Well, she gives representation to a fellow Quaalude user. Ah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's good. Wait, was it was that was that my cue to? Uh, <laughs> I think I missed it, but yeah, I was supposed to do. Well, that. As, as a what? former Quaalude user, <laughs> you know, if anything, at least we got the soundboard out of this, so that's something. Myros, how you holding up? Uh, you know, this isn't helping. You know, in this in this trying time, this is not helping. Yeah, I'm actually trying to kill you guys. That's that's my goal. Jack, how about you? Would you say that as you watch these films for this week's episode, you were singing, Oh, happy day! Yeah, no, um, I'm, I'm definitely feeling... I, mean, I, I think we might peak here, and I'm a little concerned <laughs> about that. I think we might be talking about Whoopi Goldberg's best film. Um, so... <laughs> It's been, it's been rough. It's been a thing. Just we're nearly there. We just got to keep going. Yeah. And uh, we got Stephen Coleman back with us. And Coleman, do you know who Whoopi Goldberg actually supported during the uh, Democratic primary this I year? I don't. I don't actually know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she loves a good UBI, folks. She loves it. <laughs> and in case you're wondering, yes, I've been sitting on that stupid gag for the last week. So uh, I, I guess we should just <laughs> we should just dive right into this. Do you guys do you guys want to start with telephone? Is that what we're going to do? Should we save yeah. the best for last and, and start with the diarrhea? Or do you want to start with something a little more palatable? <laughs> there's no yeah. there's no good options. We starve the good options. So whatever. Yeah. yeah. Let's start with telephone. Sure. Which yep. is a movie. Let's start with the telephone. I had not heard of. Uh, no, I wonder why. Who has well, ever <laughs> seen this film? Who has ever talked about this film in the history oh, yeah. of the world? Nobody, but literally no one, as far as I know. But the, isn't that strange, considering the pedigree at hand? Considering it was uh, Rip Torn's only directorial effort, and I never knew he by, had directed. Yeah, yeah. What's that? Coleman said yeah, he didn't know that he had directed. And then, yeah, I, I didn't know that he had directed either. So he actually he he did some like off Broadway like stage direction, did a few plays, and that's how he got involved in this project. And it uh, was originally created by acclaimed writers uh, Terry Southern, 
who did uh, Doctor Strange Love. He did Easy Rider. He of films stuff. that pretty popular. <laughs> yeah. And then also Harry Nielsen, who sings, you know, the Lime and the Coconut song from everyone's favorite Coke commercial from eight years ago. Uh, but they decided to start a film production company in the 80s because they were both doing loads of Coke and didn't have any money. And they thought this was a good idea. And so they wrote this script. They put together a production company. They originally wrote it for, drumroll, not Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> yeah, so this was not originally written with Whoopi Goldberg in mind. It was uh, originally for Robin Williams, who passed on it. Big surprise. And that they ended up fun. settling for Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> would it have been fun. fun, though? I don't know. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it would have basically been the Aladdin scene. It would have been like the, you know, the, the big Aladdin scene. But just for like ninety minutes. Yeah, I think I think it's worth yeah. pointing out, Steve. You said that because uh, they were on a lot of coke, everyone was on a lot of coke. It's why this film happened. But it is important we point out the one person who was not on a load of coke for this whole project was Whoopi Goldberg, who was apparently was detoxing at the time. Like oh. maybe take the edge off, Steve. Now I missed yeah. you again. No, no win. Oh wait, yeah, yeah. You know who was it? Wait, do it again. You know who wasn't using coke at the time? Well, as a former Quaalude user. So can, now let's let's be fair to Whoopi. She was using coke and Quaaludes, okay? She we, allegedly. Yeah. So so around this time, allegedly, she was detoxing in the middle of what a film that's essentially a one woman play. Um. So I like there's a bunch of bad decisions compounded throughout this whole thing. Just seems so. Like just a mistake, a series of mistakes, and they they were just invested and they kept going to the point. I mean, reading up, apparently, uh, Rip Torn was begging Whoopi Goldberg to stop improvising. So I don't know how Robin Williams would have been a better. <laughs> like, why do you hire a loudmouth comedian to in, to not improvise? And that's what they did with Whoopi Goldberg here, which fits in with just this kind of the the bewildering element that is why is Whoopi Goldberg in her films. Because none of them seem to use her appropriately, and yet they're Whoopi Goldberg vehicles. Mm-hmm. And and how many of these movies that we've watched are were actually created for Whoopi Goldberg, like or even like neutral projects with with no actor in mind for for the lead role? And the answer is zero. Whoopi Goldberg is always everyone's one thousandth choice, and that's just who we end up with. <laughs> And I don't know. Maybe it Sister Act was was there a ah a, that could be that's a, I'm glad you brought that up, Myros, because Sister Act was originally for Bette Midler, but she decided oh, to not well, do the project. Well, so. to be fair, Sister Act two, I'm pretty sure Whoopi Goldberg was the first choice. So <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. You, you really can't get away from her there. Uh but yeah, this this movie. In addition to having Whoopi Goldberg in a role that I, I don't think she was perhaps best suited for, or maybe anyone was suited for, you have this weird conundrum where your two lead writers are also your producers slash owners of the film company that's creating this movie that we watched. And in addition to all this, the director, Rip Torn, is saying, Whoopi, stick to the script. Because he comes from stage background, you got to stick to the script. And the writers are saying, yeah, Whoopi, we want you to improvise. So she's getting two different people in her ear saying two completely different things. And then we get to the point where this finally comes out. And Whoopi Goldberg 
takes legal action to try to keep it from coming out because yeah. she's so embarrassed by it. And that doesn't happen. And in addition to it just failing miserably, uh, the business manager for Terry Southern and Harry Nielsen's film production company embezzled all the funds from this film. So <laughs> it bankrupt the company. That is so perfect. Harry Nielsen's like life. Just it, no one wins. Yeah. Besides Elliot Gould and John no Hurt, who just kill yeah. their cameos. They um, well, there there was also an additional story in the in the IMDb trivia. Uh, take it for what it's worth that this had uh, debuted. It had a festival run with a, a cut that Rip Torn made that excised most of the uh, takes with the improvisation uh, and the producers went behind his back and uh, distributed Ooh, it in different cut so entirely. we need to release the torn cut we need to get on <laughs> release that the torn I cut. can't imagine release the torn cut. any scenario where assuming what's in the film is in any way equivalent to the original play <laughs> I cannot conceive any scenario where this isn't a piece of shit because the play is bad, <laughs> you know what's in the film, the storyline. It's it's bad. It's a it's a dumb idea. Um, I mean, yeah. the whole point, uh, listeners, if you don't want to watch this film, which I strongly advise you don't, is it's about watching a woman slowly her sanity decay over the course of the real time for hanging out in her apartment. But I guess the idea is that we don't really re understand how frayed her sanity is until the very end where we have a twist which i'm sure we'll get into but what's really what's really confusing is also the film opens with her walking cheerfully to her apartment saying hello to everyone suggesting she's a integrated member of her community um and kind of participates in daily life maybe that was a maybe that was a vision i don't know do we have any feelings on that it's like a cabinet of dr caligari framing mechanism there's a lot going on here <laughs> I think it's just flat out fucking stupid, and they expect us to believe that because her, mm. you know, phone has been cut off, she's she's good at pretending that she's one of the you know normal folks out there, but really she's she's losing her sanity on us. And <laughs> however they decided to cut this thing, I, I, obviously we because hashtag release the rip torn cut, we haven't seen it, <laughs> but the cut that we are left with, I can only imagine after Rip Torn made his cut. Terry Southern sit, sitting around smoking cigarettes with Harry Nielsen. He's just like, damn it, what's hot right now? And Harry Nielsen goes, uh, I, I don't know, uh, racism. Everybody loves racial humor. That's right. We need more racism. Terry Give Southern me some is racism. I want all the racist stuff. It's, it's just like the 2020 <laughs> presidential campaign. More racism. It exa that's exactly what it is. So now we get this. Aha, it's a Japanese joke. Very funny. How say yeah. <laughs> I will say I will say that uh, she within that ridiculous bit there she develops a nice rhythm that became quite funny for like two minutes I, I was I was laughing I don't know what Coleman what did you think I was just sort of sitting mouth agape. <laughs> I was going to say aghast would be my summation of that whole story. Because just to clarify, that's not the only race that she no. does. No, I wish. Oh, she does them all. She she does all the hits. <laughs> Let's see if we can. So we've obviously we have where she puts on like a P.F. Chang's hat and does like fake hibachi at her kitchen. Uh, she does one where she calls a deli. And she pretends to be an Indian man. An Indian man. She does um, a German accent with a Hitler salute, of course. 
of course. Gotta have that. Uh, what about, oh, the Irish one. The Jack, Irish, you probably appreciated that. That's super, I mean, really, I mean, we'll discuss Catholicism and Sister Act, but amazing preview here. How, wait, how does her Irish accent compare to Orson Welles and uh, Lady from Shanghai? <laughs> I feel like Orson Welles had like spent years in Ireland before that, and I think he was taking the piss, I like to believe, just a little bit at least. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him the edge. Also, Lady of Shanghai is not painful to sit through, unlike the telephone, no, which, is, <laughs> which is quite a bit shorter and feels much longer and worse. Yes. <laughs> Coleman... What? Okay, so you're, you're kind of our resident stand-up comedy expert, or at least I've, I've dubbed you such. So what is Whoopi's stand-up act even like? Is this what she does? Does she just, uh, does she just do, like, exaggerated racial caricatures? Is that kind of her thing? It's uh, Robin Williams' light is the best way I think I can describe it. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of this, like, silly, like, accent stuff. And none of them are done well. None of them are even done, like, convincingly if you're going to go that route. Uh, it's very much like Telephone, the movie. It's... That's right, I am entertaining people from the big world of show business. Yang, yang, yang! God damn it. Yeah, and, I, it's... and I don't think she ever meant to be a stand-up comedian. I think she just kind of, like, fell into this world of, like, the comic relief stuff that was happening in the 80s with... Robin Williams and Billy Crystal. Like it was just an accident that she stumbled into this sort of secondary, like supplemental career. Um, and obviously it wasn't something that has sustained. And I mean, she's still not, not like she's doing the casino circuit right now with her stand up act. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's got the view, baby. What else you need in life? Nothing. <laughs> so, okay. So I, I want to try and, because we, we've talked about how shitty this is and how it's basically just her doing like racial caricatures into a telephone. But I don't think we're emphasizing just how very little actually happens in this movie. So somebody help me out here. What, what the fuck happens in this movie? What is, what is telephone? Just give me the rundown. Uh, here, I'll jump in. I, it is, it's a movie about... An actress, a struggling actress whose uh, lover has recently left her. Uh, well, presumably recently. But, uh, and yeah, she's struggling to pay the rent and keep her phone uh, connected. And so she's, she's just uh, killing time one night and uh, being as obnoxious as humanly possible and uh, harassing her neighbor. Uh, and yeah, calling people and being a, a jerk. Uh, doing strange things with animals, and uh, yeah, then then that's the entire movie, really, except uh, mm -hmm. until the very end, which we get to the the interesting twist. Which, again, <laughs> given the premise of such a movie, uh, and and the title, you could probably guess the twist, but uh, I don't know if we want to get there yet. <laughs> well, the the thing that that strikes me the most about Telephone is. I think it's more fun and interesting to try and explain what it is to people. Just Whoopi Goldberg having these one-sided conversations into her telephone while the camera doesn't move <laughs> than it is to actually 
watch this shit. Like if I'm like, hey, Myros, you want to watch a Whoopi Goldberg movie where she takes a dump while doing a John Wayne impersonation? <laughs> I'm thinking you're saying to yourself, I, I think what's, maybe, what's amazing about something? the film is like because it starts off relatively traditionally. She's walking down the street. She's going to her apartment. She meets a neighbor while she's going in as a quick chat with them. And then she goes into her apartment and she does a couple of things around, you know, just general stuff. And she's talking to herself and she has a pet owl and she has a conversation with that while she's just doing this and that. And there's an energy and a kind of, you know, it makes sense as like, you know, we're, we're entering a space to do something, you know, dramatically it all holds together. It's really not that bothersome at all. And then honestly, as soon as she picks up a phone, the thing just dies to death. It's just your interest drops down immediately because like Adam said, uh, the twist, you know, okay, here's the twist just to get to it. Right. Is that the phone was never connected, right? She, she's not talking to anyone for the whole film. She's has mental issues. Um, but like, frankly that we, we say it's a twist, but like you couldn't watch this film and not consider that being a likely possibility. I mean, it was one of the first things I thought of watching it. Unless you just don't care. Yeah, you may not care. And also, yeah. I mean, the the other point is maybe that her phone acting is so obviously bad uh, that you know she's not talking to anyone. Like, the first conversation she has on the phone, like, she kind of just snaps dialogue out. There's no rhythm to it, but it's kind of like, okay, maybe it's bad acting. But, like, it, it's obvious that something has to happen if it's just her in a room with a telephone. And one of the most obvious things is that the phone is, you know, doesn't isn't working. There's something to do with the conversations. So when it's revealed... It's it's not a surprise, and also it doesn't mean anything. Like, did anyone learn anything no. from about this film? About anything? Lessons? I learned you that see, I'm incredibly uh, impatient. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> I'm not sure if you're incredibly impatient. I I feel like I was out on the thing as soon as she like uh, was dangling her feet in the tub with a goldfish. I was like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> this is this is already insufferable, and it just got worse and worse. But I. I I felt like I was being too hard on it as it, as it, you know, barreled toward the end there at the snail's pace. But um, I I was like, well, you know, this is at least unlike all these movies that we watched for the first episode. At least this seems to have a thesis. It, it wants to be this uh, sort of treatise on isolation and loneliness. It's something that should, by all rights, resonate with our current situation. It should be a gem we've just uncovered. Uh <laughs> Dealing with irrelevant themes, but it, this twist just, it, it just kind of reveals it for the piece of trash that it is all along. It's like, A, you could never pull this off. It, it shouldn't really have comedic elements, largely. If you want to have this sort of movie, it should probably be quite earnest and carried by a, a tremendous central performance, which this is certainly not. And, uh, and yeah, it, it needs some script tweaks, because this... This the phone was never there thing. It just makes the film a gimmick. And what's the point of that? This thing to me just reads like if you were in theater school or something and, and some acquaintance of yours asked you to go see a, a play they were in, this would be the worst case scenario. This is like the nightmare that runs through your mind of what will occur when you enter the theater. Reminds me of a lot of <laughs> bad one act plays I saw like in undergrad from friends who were in theater. Right. Yeah. Had that yeah. whole vibe through the whole time. Yeah, this is like if you went to go see Crap's last tape, and uh, it was you show up and Melissa McCarthy's in the lead, and you're like, "Oh fuck, this, <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to go the way I want it to." <laughs> uh, the one, the one benefit of the twist, I wish talked because it's it's basically Whoopi Goldberg in 
in a apartment on our own, but we have like two big guest cameos. Uh, so we have Elliot Gould shows up halfway in as her like jerk agent. And I, it's it's like Elliot Gould is great. And I just, I do not understand that you would hire Elliot Gould and just bring him on set and have him sleepwalk through just this kind of dopey accent that ends up with Whoopi Goldberg farting on him. That's literally, she drives him out of her apartment by farting in his lap. And that's what it's a Elliot, metaphor for the whole film. <laughs> that's what Elliot Gould does in this film. Dude, Gould was clearly on set because he brought the drugs. Like, they're just like, hey, we, we got a little thing. Could you... Uh, well, you uh, as a former Quaalude user. He just, he brought the lewds. And they're like, can you just do this thing? We need something here. What I want to know is for you guys, and I, and I, I may have spoiled it for you because I was just like, holy shit, like you guys are about to get fucked up by this thing because I think I was the first one out of our group to watch it. How long into the movie did it take before you were like, oh my God, it's just going to be this for an hour? <laughs> like, how 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 long before you really, you just yeah, completely I was, were like, I was brave for that. That was kind of like, I figured, okay. And I was I maintained positivity because you guys had watched before me and you were like, it's this is difficult. Like, this is not an easy film to watch. But I was kind of, like, drawing to, you know, my, my best thinky brain. And, like, no, this will be, you know, it's a, a one-act chamber play. Like, let's, you know, let's do a drama. And, yeah, around the time, like I said, as soon as she picked up the phone, it was kind of like, oh, okay. And then when she did the whole Indian, I don't remember which racist thing happens first, but around that time, it was <laughs> just like, oh, my God. And then she shouted her neighbor for a while, I was like, okay, I, I don't really think this is going to amount to anything. Yeah, there's actually, someone was kind enough, if you go on YouTube, there's a nine-minute supercut of all the racism, and it's just like, <laughs> the description's like, Whoopi Goldberg in the telephone. Nine, you either love it, or you hate it. <laughs> it's nine minutes out of an 80-minute long movie is racism. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's great. I feel like I'm with Sean and that at least there was some liveliness in, in those scenes to a degree. The worst parts of this film are like the neighbors. Jovial racism. Where oh, it's just uh, it's just like this pounding on the wall and she's like trying to pretend to do this Shakespearean play with like six different voices and it's just and the neighbors just screaming and it goes on and on. There's probably 25 minutes of the film that is this bullshit with the neighbors just going ah ah Ah, and she's and even, even the, doing fucking terrible accents. Yeah, even the like, neighbor the is fuck? a racist caricature kind of salt lag. I'm pretty sure they're meant to be like Latino. I, you know, that was the sense I got from it. Well, it's a racist character that is also racist. Yes. It's, she it's keeps a, telling Whoopi to go back and get her green card. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no, I think, I think that neighbor is, there's like a, I think there's multiple neighbors I, or they're just messing up the accent. Because at, at first I thought it was an Asian lady, and then I'm like, maybe she's Latina, and then I'm like, oh no, she's supposed to be Jewish, because Whoopi says something, I don't know, vaguely racist, because, well not vaguely, it's pretty overt. She's like, oh, go <laughs> go eat a bagel, and the lady's like, ah, oh, get your green card, rah, rah. It's, it's Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. God, apparently, apparently I should have put my headphones on, because it just sounded like a wall of sound to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not wrong, um, and it, it really... It doesn't add anything. And like all it cements is that Whoopi Goldberg is just a shithead through it. Like this is just a bad prank call. It's the motion picture. And it does and then at the end of it, it's like she's mentally unwell. It's that doesn't really like that just really 
is offensive to people who have mental problems. I think that's my takeaway. It's like it's racist up until the point where it's, you know, prejudiced against people with learning or whatever with mental health issues. It's a good thing nobody saw it. Yeah. That did help. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not true because I think it was Terry Southern said in an interview, someone asked him about this movie and he said that he didn't consider it like an all out failure because they had a copy at his local drugstore and people rented it every (laughs) once in a while. So, you know, Sean, what I really want to know from you, (laughs) Sean, how does this stack up to Altman's secret honor? You know, clearly cut from the same cloth. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Whoopi Goldberg and Philip uh, Philip Baker Hall, um, they have a similar way to command the room. Um, (laughs) I wish that she would have had a gun in this one um, and that she would have been drinking. I think it probably would have picked it up a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. But overall, I think it's apples and oranges, you know. She doesn't have it. She doesn't yeah. need a gun. She goes uh, with the with what well, I don't remember with a knife of some description. I think uh, it's worth the second cameo in this film is John Hurt who arrives in and honestly the highlight of the film plays the most pointlessly obnoxious telephone man uh, in the world who's come to collect a heads uh, like a handset which is obviously no one could give a shit about doing that as part of the job. He just comes in and starts berating her and insulting her apartment. And then, of course, confronts her with her own insanity, which pushes her over to murder him and then get back on the phone that we now know is is disconnected. But I just I enjoyed like John Hurt just literally says like, just be a dickhead. And that's his whole role. Mm. It's like so pointlessly like antagonistic to, to Whoopi Goldberg's character. It's kind of confusing, but at least it's something. Yeah, it's just why... If you aren't paying your bill, the phone company doesn't have to take your phone. It just doesn't work. Well, some of them didn't they in the in the like with a lot of those plans they would give you the the phone. It came with the plan, so they would reclaim their property. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So no, they well, lease the headset. Like, yeah, they would lease huh. a headset to you. That they still do that for like internet routers and things. And you get to pick like this very unique looking phone. <laughs> it's, it's got like a pattern or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's bullshit because my mom still has like an 80s telephone company phone in our basement, like a landline, and it's just this disgusting cream brick. Like it's not, <laughs> you, you don't get the fancy cow print. That's not going to happen. Guys, I just had a realization. I think you had a choice between puke, puke green, brown, and cream, and that's it. That, no, I just had a realization, guys. There, there's a moment in the movie where a car accident happens outside and she chalks another line to count the car accident. And it's like the whole wall beside the window is just covered in counting because there's been so many car accidents. But guys, I just realized maybe the car accident wasn't real. Ooh. Maybe your neighbors aren't real. <gasps> See, Whoa. Th- that's Ooh. the thing that, that this is the thing that something like Secret Honor uh, has in its favor besides, you know, uh, a lot. Not but, being this movie. <laughs> but uh, it works well because, like, it has a built-in um, frame of reference for the audience, you know? It's like a, it's a character that is a play on something that we know and is, is talking about something that we already know. And that helps with these, like, one-room, one-man show type of thing. Unless it's like a... Unless it's... What's that guy with the huge book? That, the gray... Uh, Spalding Gray. 
unless it's like that type of one man show, like where it's just kind of like storytelling or whatever. But, um, but when it is like this, this one person acting in a room and, and developing stuff, it helps, uh, at least secret honors case, like where there's just so much already baked into it. And we already have like so many ideas because of Nixon being such a figure. Um, whereas this is just yeah. like, without that stupid twist it's like well you don't really have a movie and then with the twist you have a horrible movie <laughs> that's a fair summation well sean you, you you say that we don't have a frame of reference for this but uh i think every red-blooded american's been to a benihana before so you know it just it, <laughs> it's a japanese joke very funny how say yeah <laughs> that's what happens every time you go to benihana this is yeah. So pay some respects, buddy boy. All right. Well, before we move to the next film, because really we've exhausted this because nothing fucking happens in the telephone and no one should ever watch it. Uh, what I want to know is how many how many yangs are you guys given this one? Myros, you want to go first? How many yangs? I'm going to give it one yang. One yang. Sean, how about you? Half a yang. Yeah. Half, half yang. A yeah. One yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Coleman, Yangs? Minus five Yangs. <laughs> Minus five. We have negative Yangs. Okay. All right. Jack, how many Yangs on your end? Well, I would propose a universal basic income, and this film would provide no Yangs within that framework. Mm. Mm. Good point. Well, I mean, just to offset you guys in your fucking negativity, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to give it uh, yang, yang, yang. just a three. We need, all, all three Yangs are coming in hot right there. <laughs> is this out of five or right. what <laughs> I mean it's not a classic come on it's clearly a yang 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 we don't need the extra two yangs in there Let's I think every, every yang right. makes it more racist so hopefully five rather than ten gets us safer <laughs> alright well the next movie I want to talk about I, I think it, it ties in nicely to the telephone because this is another movie where Whoopi Goldberg was not the original Whoopi choice Gating. to play the the, uh, the character. Yeah, and then ended up taking the filmmakers to court, which helped to sync this movie, making it for a period of time the most expensive direct-to-video film. And it is often talked about by people who uh, like to discuss bad movies. How did those get uh, which, made? People often ask that when they talk about yeah, this movie. Yeah, people people often say that. They say, "How does this get made?" Yeah, so it's, uh, it's if you're if you're a, a gap tooth Paul Shear type, this might be right up your alley. And this is Theodore Rex, which I'm gonna come out and say, eh, not so terrible compared to what we've been watching. And not so I, bad. Mar yeah, I'd say the best of this episode. Honestly, if I had it, I wouldn't want to watch it again. It's clearly a kid's film. It's for children. That's for damn sure. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, whatever. It just, it just feels like something you would make in the 90s for children. It's, it's very much in that mold. Like, it feels like it's not as good as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but it's a step above the Super Mario Brothers movie. So it just kind <laughs> of lands in there. It's, I mean, honestly... It's a kid's movie. I remember renting it as a child and enjoying it. It's stupid, but the animatronics look good. The special effects are fine. It has uh, it, the, the cinematography. There's light, there's shadow, there's depth in the field of frame. You know, that's, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, there's several fart jokes. Okay. What is that smell? Is that you? There's a lot of that. A lot of dinosaur farting. Well, yeah. And I don't, speaking as a former 11-year-old, dinosaurs farting kicks ass. So I don't see what the, <laughs> the issue is here that people have with this film. The, the really, the, the shortcoming of this film to me is whoever the costumer who dressed Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg should have taken a lawsuit just against them because she's dressed in like <laughs> this, this black, fully black bodysuit thing. And it is unflattering to say the least and she is i mean do not oh I, i'm God. i'm my eye is drawn to just how badly dressed she is in a room full of giant rubber dinosaurs so <laughs> save your nasty comments i don't care listen, save your <laughs> listen. It's do not do not besmirch the character and the good name of leather daddy whoopi goldberg <laughs> in theodore rex like, okay it's not it's not even that it's like you know form-fitting it's like it's not it doesn't even do that it's like it just looks like they just padded her out with trash and just like wrapped the bag around it it's she she does look like she's just duct taped with garbage bags that's it's kind of the, it's the like aesthetic they of this whole so film. much money on just so many dinosaurs and stupid props like dinosaur sneakers that have three toes and all kinds, and the car with a little hatch for their tail and stuff, all these goofy things that I think kids would really enjoy, that they just had no money left yeah. to acquire even just a vaguely passable futuristic suit for for Whoopi Goldberg. Dude, the thing that drives me nuts with this is like the same people who are like, oh my God, it's so bad. Oh, Theodore Rex, Whoopi Goldberg, dinosaur, Ugh. all these people. These are the same people that are off honking their dicks to the MCU and are probably like rock hard for Blade Runner as well, which, you know, that's fine. But I think the, the writer point of this is, is rock hard for Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's just it. Like this whole thing is just, it's like Blade Runner for children. It's It's got all this like lore and world building that goes into it. This is the exact shit that makes people who fucking love the ninth Thor movie fucking have raging boners. So I, I don't understand why they're, why they're so hard on this. Is it good? No, this is not something I'm going to throw on at a casual Sunday viewing, but it's... Given its reputation, it's silly. That's all it is. It's silly there, and, yeah, that, and not I, great. <laughs> isn't that the issue? I mean, the, the issue is that like anything that just is a world full of rubber dinosaurs is inherently for children. Like you couldn't do. It's weirdly edgy because like it it takes on like it's not it's not edgy, but it kind of it takes the affectations on because it kind of it's an, a noir story. They've got you know. Um, a lady dinosaur who's like a femme fatale character and a couple of other you know private dick kind of moments in it but yeah. like but like obviously you know it's 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 edgy and like it's not edgy in the same way that like when Warner Brothers Animaniacs did like you know a, a noir spoof it wasn't edgy it was probably edgier because they'd actually put innuendo in there's nothing like that in here as far as I can recall um so it just it, no. there's nothing there's no way to make it edgy or gritty. So it's very it's very obviously a film for children, whereas Marvel is for for children, but also apparently not somehow without adding anything that children couldn't understand themselves. I think it tackles the issue of racism better than Black Panther, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> they do this whole thing where like it's they they call it speciesism and uh, they're not homicides they're dinocides because you know dinosaurs get killed uh, but dinosaurs are treated as as second class citizens which is how the uh, titular Theodore Rex gets 
promoted from, and I'm sure this happens with cops all the time, he gets promoted from PR for the local police force all the way up to homicide de- detective. So uh, makes a lot of sense. But yeah, they, they really harp on this message about like, you know, equality between species and all this shit. And, and, and I could just imagine these guys are writing this screenplay and they're like, we, we got to have a message for the kids. This is important. It's got that this really... Is, this is going to be the biggest movie of the year. It's got that thing that all like 90s kids movies has, which is firstly a kind of like a distrust of billionaires that is actually almost kind of surprising now that it's like we all grew up being told billionaires were terrible and they wanted to destroy the rainforest or whatever. And now we live in a time where we're just kind of like, eh, it's fine. I just need stuff off Amazon. And then secondly, yeah. it has, it has that environmental, you know, that like fern gully kind of like element. The dinosaurs eat really healthy. And there's like this idea of an ice age and extinction and preservation and stuff. So like, it's basically like rich people are going to destroy the world is the overarching message, which of course is also the overarching message of say uh, Chuck Norris's Mountain Warrior uh, which is another exceptional <laughs> 90s kids film. Maybe we can do a podcast on that sometime. Just saying. I don't okay, know if it's so Mountain love that. Warrior. It's something like that. I, 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 I gotta take umbrage with Jack's assertion that they eat healthy considering that uh, Eating healthy just consists of uh, not eating meat, even though they're carnivores, and instead exclusively eating chocolate chip cookies, by what I've observed in the film. No, no, they go to the rest. They talk diet. about goo. There's a lot of goo that is apparently healthy and kale or some, I don't know. Dude, I don't know. I know a lot of vegetarians, and it's mostly French fries and chocolate chip cookies. So I think they were just shooting for accuracy here. So it's, you know, I mean, they may do. Look, to be fair, Theodore Rex never happened. A lot was left unexplored. <laughs> you know, I, I really love Teddy Rex's uh, Tears in the Rain uh, speech. It got to me. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing I will say about this, like, I mean, this has got like Bud Court of like Harold and Maud and Brewster McCloud shows up in this as like a gimpy henchman and frankly steals every scene he's in. Um, and you got Joe D'Alessandro's playing like another henchman, which is uh, just a really weird thing to find him in a kid's movie, personally. Um and there, there's Richard some Roundtree, and Richard Roundtree's the police, yeah, oh, yeah, chief of police. Like there's there's these strange uh, cameos in there. Like the cast, the supporting cast is interesting and unusual. Whoopi Goldberg is, uh, frankly, and I mean, I've kind of we talked about her movies being kind of bad thus far, but none of them, to my mind, have been particularly bad because of Whoopi. They've always been bad because they just they didn't seem to support her to do anything, and she's just like left stranded. This mm. is the first film of hers that I've watched that I'm really kind of like she's upstaged by the dinosaurs. Like I really don't feel like Whoopi gave a shit about anything here. No, she's just I think there. She definitely seemed to be like phoning it in. Um, hardcore, and I think what it was actually distracting for me watching the movie, and part of that's because oh, yeah. I did a lot of research before I watched it and just found out like she was supposed to get paid $2 million, and she sued the producers, then she's all of a sudden getting paid $7 million to do this movie, and it's just <laughs> like she's just earning that paycheck. And, you know, good for her, yeah. but like it definitely affects the performance quite a bit. Yeah, I'd say so. She She clearly, like, there's multiple scenes in this movie where you just look at Whoopi Goldberg's face, does not want to be there at all. <laughs> just hates the fact that she's doing this right now. It's it's kind of distracting, yeah. Sean, was was this your favorite movie of the bunch or uh, just kind of middle of the road for you? Uh, I think 
Oh, it's hard with between this and, and one of the ones that uh, we're going to talk. It's pretty dead even, but I will say that it it, it it was weird because so much was made of this movie uh, about like how horrible it is. Like it has its legacy. And it's just, I just found it kind of like passing fun. Like, you know, it's like fine. Like if you threw it on in the background, you wouldn't really notice. You wouldn't be like, holy shit. Like it's just, it's just, yeah bad movie that's fine and i actually really liked um the the dinosaur like costume and the way that he moved around i thought was was pretty affable um yeah they look great unlike several of the other films i feel like this has an audience it's a children's movie i think kids would enjoy it it's just kind of like ninja turtles runoff kind of is what it felt like to me like yeah yeah Yeah. that's because you're a little too easy at it I mean, it's got a, a virtually <laughs> that, that incomprehensible be. plot. Uh, it's a noir style. I mean, you could say that's actually pretty uh, pretty close to noir's roots. But yeah, I, I do. I admit, I think kids are going to be like, oh, it's a dinosaur. It's funny. The plot absolutely is heavy handed when it makes any sense at all. Yeah, and you can't really yeah, do it's, the, it's the noir who done it, and then in the opening crawl of the film, tell you who <laughs> done it. Right. There is opening text <laughs> in this film, like David Lynch's Dune, to try and explain <laughs> what you're about to see, uh, which is a yeah. bad sign, admittedly. But uh, frankly, I don't oh, think kids I, care. Are kids gonna care? Yeah. No. 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 I, saw I don't think they're, I the audience care. can read. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, I, and the opening crawl too. It's it's literally like. In the future, dinosaurs live with humans, and also, one dinosaur escaped from a human compound, and then was murdered by this exact person. Now we need to solve the murder mystery. You solved it, we know, we fucking know. So, I don't know why we're going through this whole thing, just, you know, if only Whoopi saw the crawl in the beginning, then this would be taken care of. The other thing that I like about this, and this is another part of the world building where I I did not comprehend whatsoever like there's all kinds of little like just sci-fi twist things to remind you that we're in the future but this one when they when they they find the dead dinosaur and then they show up to the scene and then they talk to the chief and they decide to give theodore rex and Whoopi the case they go all right i want this solved in 24 hours or it's your ass i don't say ass it's your keister because apparently in the future you have to solve all murders in 24 hours or they just you, you know you can't you can't do anything about it so I, I, that was a weird stipulation i'd say <laughs> it was politically one motivated murder. yeah well, one thing i will say like last thing about this film is that i i kind of thought is kind of like interesting at least like some of these other films i just I, it's hard to look at them like you know, like by the time we got to bogus last week i just couldn't even look at the screen while half of that film was happening uh, this one is unusual in that it is literally like it's all a futurist futuristic cityscape kind of it's not like big like Blade Runner but like buildings lots of separate buildings they built like a a little city mm-hmm. scene uh, it is incredible how they they primed like the nineties primary colors into architecture it is the most garish looking film like absolutely quintessentially of its time it's it's overpowering at times again to the point almost that like sometimes i'm not looking at the dinosaurs i'm just looking at the the front of a building that is yellow blue and red (laughs) and just blocks of color and but again it's something to look at uh you know it's lit well the the look of this is it it looks like if like the movie tank girl projectile vomited all over one of the burton batman movies 
And that's actually kind of being nice to it, but it's just yeah. kind of the general aesthetic. If you need a, a starting point to, to, to unfortunately, we give don't you have, an idea. We we don't have iced tea as a kangaroo, so we we lose out yeah. on that oh, level. Boy. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah. there was one amusing thing I, I noted in this is that they obviously only had like one like apartment set that was appropriate for these dinosaur puppets because there's this whole like 15 minute segment where. Uh, Teddy is begging for an hour uh, break from the case to uh, take Carol Kane's dinosaur home from this part or funeral that they're at. Uh, and if for some reason they're just back at his apartment, like gallivanting around for the rest of the night. And I'm like, <laughs> what? this is the, they don't they don't like say it's her apartment. It's all of a sudden they're in his apartment. I'm like, what, is, what the fuck's even happening? Is, isn't but, his dog there? Well, I I wasn't even aware that there was a problem there. I thought they went back to his place and she took a bath. But they were—he was—he was escorting her back to her place. That was the whole conceit <laughs> of, the, of the scene. Oh, oh um, yeah. So you know, I paid a lot of attention to this. Yeah, that's film. the problem is—is <laughs> oh. is you paid an appropriate amount of attention to this sort of thing, and I'm an adult watching a movie for five-year-olds and. Uh, and notice this. <laughs> they're not real dinosaurs, well, but- I should add. They're not real species. Uh, if that's going to piss you off, don't watch this. If you're OCD <laughs> and your dinosaur classifications. Oh, yeah. Cinema sins. Um, that's not actually an Allosaurus. I don't know if you know. <laughs> For real though, you guys, you guys want to, you guys want to fuck that lady dinosaur? Do <laughs> you think this is better or worse than Howard the Duck? It is worse. Mm. I can it's say, yeah. yeah, it's worse. Yeah, Howard the Duck's kind of weird and amusing. Howard the Duck way. is fine, but it's like the next yeah. level of fine, like just a tier above. Yeah. You know, it's certainly a uh, much more expensive looking. Like this is this is pretty cheap. Howard the Duck has some money behind it. The effects are kind of uh, cool '80s stuff. There's some good practical effects in Howard the Duck. There are, yeah. This one, it, it is in like it clearly costs money to make this film the puppetry is clearly quite advanced but like the film at no point looks expensive um well it was the most expensive direct-to-video film ever made i i I understand this at no (laughs) point does it look expensive well one third of the budget that's because a third of the money went to whoopee (laughs) yeah that's it who is dressed in a trash bag (laughs) <laughs> it looks like they put like a garbage can lid up against her lower back and just taped it into into her her outfit. Like it's she doesn't even look human in the film. Frankly, it's just oh I don't I don't even understand. I wonder if they just spent so much time lighting the rest of it. They were just like once people were on set, it's like we don't care anymore. I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah, it's uh. We it's, also mentioned that there's a pervert something. dinosaur who just like spends half the movie like looking at Whoopi Goldberg and going like, <laughs> 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 he likes oh yeah, and the- Theodore Rex is like, he's like, oh Whoopi, don't worry about him. He just wants to fuck smooth skins. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> that's not any better. That, that's it just what means makes it's a sex predator with teeth. <laughs> no, we're we're in the era of rebooting '90s stuff, but like putting an edge on it. I think now is the perfect time for like a gritty R-rated Theodore Rex, and we could really pursue that. We could get in there post Game of Thrones. HBO should get on this. That's a show. So um, yeah, yeah, ten part miniseries. I'll write. I'll write a a, a script for. We'll get it done. There's a lot left unanswered here. 
you know what oh. you could watch like th- this really reminds me of uh, Steve had mentioned that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie this actually is not that far off from like the newer Michael Bay Ninja Turtles movie which again is one of those things that everyone will whine about being like the worst movie it's essentially just this it's it's uh, kind of ugly definitely uh, would have enjoyed it when I was uh, five to eight years old but it's it's totally fine and and very uh, similar to this in a lot of ways mm-hmm yeah. All right. Well, boys, I think it's about time we moved on to the uh, the fillet of the whoopee comedic filmography. <laughs> so at some point, someone wrote a script about fun singing nuns and they said, Bette Midler, we wrote this for you. And she said, no, thanks. So 10,000 actresses later, they decided Whoopi Goldberg would carry this film into tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of success. And that is, of course, Sister Act, which, for my money, it's it's kind of a toss-up between this and Theodore Rex. I think maybe Sister Act gives it the edge here, but this is probably the most palatable thing Whoopi Goldberg has done as far as comedies go. And, and you know, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, I'm, but I'm, what does that actually mean? <laughs> I, I would I would agree with you. Um, with the proof, like, and I still kind of want to impress on people. Like, I started this movie, and it's it starts really well, and Whoopi gets to be glamorous and have a boyfriend. Beardy's a married mobster plays into the plot, but like, there's an actual like Who- Whoopi Goldberg is actually like an actual realized you know woman with you know like personality and things. Um, and I was so it's like really on board. Like this is this is such a step up from everything else we've watched. Sister Act is like by far mm-hmm. and away the easiest to watch. But I gotta I gotta impress it. Like by after the first twenty minutes or so, the film really does like just plummet. And it's not terrible. It's not awful. But it really it's still not a good film. Um, and I'm not like I, I really I don't really rem- have any particular memories of it from childhood. I'm pretty sure I saw it when I was younger, but like it it really is a threadbare film. There's so little mm-hmm. in it, and, and the fundamental like once they get through with you know the glamour and the the Harvey Keitel playing a hood and you know this kind of stuff is interesting. The rest of it is literally just like what if nuns were people. And that's like they are. That's and how do you make an entire film about a woman being trapped in a convent, pretty much? And there's literally no self-reflection on her part whatsoever. This film has zero curiosity. It misses so many. Like it doesn't even look for what you would think would be easy themes to do, easy scenes you could write up. It just skips everything. It is just there's almost no film here for the success is uh, to me unimaginable i just don't understand how adults like this film and, and at the same time again yeah it's probably the best film of the bunch of all of them of the first two podcasts <laughs> it, it, sister act is the best film well i i think with with sister act is i mean harvey Keitel is great and all the gangster stuff is really good i mean consider we've, we've watched multiple movies and we're gonna we're gonna watch more where it's you know, Whoopi Goldberg runs from criminals, mobsters, and ne'er-do-wells. Like, this is the best example of that, but it's kind of bookended, uh, you know, beginning and end of the movie, and that's that's where it really shines. And other than that, you have this big middle chunk where I guess it's just, it's funny when nuns sing Motown songs, but, there, but they don't really no, explore anything beyond that. Yeah, there's that. no dramatic problem. Like, literally, it's like, 
Well, I guess since you're here now, in when, how does how does jurisdiction work? Also, at this point, the, she is uh, she goes to the police in Las Vegas, and the same guy, Bill Nunn, somehow assigns her to witness protection in San Francisco, but he also works there. Don't understand how any of that works. But um, <laughs> yeah, the the film just it, it just it, the middle section. There's no dramatic issues whatsoever. She pretty much is like, okay, I guess if you're here teach the choir to sing and the choir are really bad except that they're all individually really good which makes no sense whatsoever and then they sing fun tunes but it's also like they're a catholic group like i feel like not a single catholic was involved in this film i'm confident no catholics over oversaw anything here um being as they're like really the religion that pioneered like kind of talk singing so everyone can participate um, you, I, I don't. I just this whole film just there's there's zero resistance. There's like there's no problems. There's whole like and the film can't even create scenes where there seems to be a problem. Like every so often, Maggie Smith, who's the the mother superior, complains to her for being a bit boisterous. Also, they make her pretend to be a nun for a reason I can't tell. I don't know why they particularly do that, <laughs> considering the mafia probably don't have an informant in a church in another city <laughs> on top. But then on top of that, yeah, they well, also I- don't give her a backstory or tell her anything about what nuns do. So of course she stands out and that's supposed to be comedic, but it's just inconsistent and they're just they're trying to invent something to happen because it's really everyone's good friends. It's like fucking, it's like a Mike Shore uh, a sitcom on season three when everyone's already best friends and trying to get married like there's no dramatic <laughs> resistance anywhere yeah. well I, I struggled with this because you know me i'm a real vatican one guy so seeing all this singing and dancing understood kinda, <laughs> rub me the wrong way but i mean i guess like does this boil down to if there's if there's any catholic themes here is it every catholic secretly wants to be a baptist is that <laughs> <laughs> is that what it's, it comes down to? Like, I, don't, I don't fucking know. Why didn't Why didn't they just put her in a Baptist church if they wanted? Like, there's no fun costumes. That, I yeah, mean, no that's fun true. costumes at all. It's true they lose out on the back and the habit tagline, but <laughs> it's just the it's what really strikes me about this film really is because it, it kind of makes me reconsider Disney because this is a touchstone film, which was Disney's kind of like film label through the 80s and 90s for like not kids films, but still often like suitable for kids, but not like they're animated explicitly for children films. And it's just like, it kind of reminds me that Disney went from incredibly high quality animation that really founded their name. And then they diversified into theme parks and music and television. And then they just churned out garbage for decades just absolute just warm like dog like room temperature dog shit pretty much is like disney's stock and trade in audiovisual stuff for several decades and then they kind of recovered a little in the 90s in animation but their live action sure didn't like this is just such a, a lazy film and yet somehow it commanded the box office this was and this like recovers it like brings disney back to the fact that now disney are literally and own so much stuff that they're uh, an encroaching monopoly that may destroy cinema pretty much entirely by making them the only players in it. And Sister Act is like, I just don't understand how that film is successful. It is, and we talked like last time about like Eddie looking like a '90s sitcom. This is the same thing. Like they shoot, <laughs> they shoot in a church, and it just oh, looks like a. <laughs> 
Is there a better one? <laughs> no, I, I. You said Eddie. I was talking about Homer and Eddie. Homer, I'm sorry. Homer and Eddie. Sorry. You'll be glad. Well, you know, you know who's a popular TV guy. It's Homer Simpson. So you, you well, can run into Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi. He's a yeah, popular Belushi. TV guy too, thanks to Twin Peaks three, which you will always be associated with now. But yeah, no, my point basically being just Disney produced an enormous amount of shit. This fits in beautifully with it. I don't understand why they haven't been bought by another studio that made good films. There's no justice in the world. <laughs> uh, Coleman, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Because I, I don't know. I, I feel like, if again, if you're like a kid, this is, this is like a, a movie that you could watch with your mom when you're 11. And it's it's fine. It's just like cute and nice, and there's not a lot there, but it's whatever. Uh, and, and before rewatching it for this podcast, I don't think I'd seen it since I was like eleven. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in a long time either. But it's, it was hard to enter into it because it was such a part of the culture. Like it was just so ingrained, and it was so popular and so big that it's just it was hard to view it as just like another Whoopi movie, especially after I just watched Telephone. Um, <laughs> and strangely for me though like I don't know that I ever saw the full film until I just sat through it and I, I didn't mind it I certainly didn't hate it 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 was fine it was, it yeah. was fine yeah, a, a lot, yeah a lot of the other movies that we've been watching they, they sort of assault your senses they're a little aggressive with their shittiness but this one I mean, I, I'd put it a step above like Burglar or something like that. But for the most part, mm-hmm. it's it's just like it's inoffensive. It's fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. It, uh, it's just, my big problem was that it, it takes just so long. Like it takes like 45 minutes until like like the plot actually starts moving. And mm-hmm. it just uh, up until that point, it's just kind of like you're, you're just waiting for, for a turn to happen. Um but yeah, it's sure. fine. yeah. There's, there's only like three plot beats. Like the first plot beat is she witnesses a murder and has to go into witness protection. They get that out of the way in like the first 15 minutes. So I think it's easily the best part of the film. And then you're right. Like nothing. Ha- she goes to the convent and she sort of like sticks out a bit. But there's no real particular jokes or anything authored around it. Um, she just goes to the convent and she doesn't fit in well. For like until like forty five or fifty minutes into the film, it's like a half hour where it's just no nose dives, and then suddenly it's kind of like teach the choir, and then that's when that comes in. But yeah, it, it, there's just huge dead zones in this film, and I emphasize again, this is the best Whoopi Goldberg film I've watched <laughs> so far, and it's just, and you know I think about like you know Pixar when Pixar came around and people like were so happy they're like it's like a movie for kids but adults can watch them too and I always felt like you know maybe just watch better movies I mean there's kids films I know of that were like didn't seem that difficult but if I look back to like Sister Act yeah I mean I it'd be terrible to have to watch this with a kid because they like it there's so little to grasp onto here <laughs> Well, you know, I'm glad that this is you know the best of the bunch because thankfully Touchstone was kind enough to give us a sequel like a year later, barely a year later. So clearly that was that was rushed into production. And if you want to talk about how Sister Act is maybe lacking in traditional plot beats, uh, then let me let me tell you about Sister Act Two: Back in the Habit, which is 
complete and utter nonsense. But it's it's amazing in the way that it it double downs it doubles down on things that I previously didn't realize was the appeal of Sister Act, and it, it, honestly, by the time it gets to where it's going, the stakes are so low, and the plot is so ludicrous that it's it, it's like it it tries to hide behind how dumb it is with its wholesomeness. So we basically. For Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, you start off right after Sister Act 1, and Dolores Von Cartier is back doing a Vegas act, and now she's got her own show, and she's gotten big. And the nuns from the convent pay her a visit, wherein they tell her that, oh, you're needed back at the convent. There's some really important secret stuff. So she abandons... Her Vegas show. It's like Eddie Economics. As one does. Yeah, just Eddie Economics. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Who cares? And she finds out that the reason they need her is because the nuns are now teaching at a nearby Catholic school, which was not discussed in the first film at all. And wouldn't you know, the kids are kind of dicks, and they think Dolores is the answer. So she starts teaching a music class to children. And she has to pretend to be a nun. Is that explained anywhere in the film? Because I just, I was kind of like watching it. And then next no. thing, they were like the nuns are like, we need your help. This school, we think you're the person. And the next thing she's wearing the habit. And it just like, there's no explanation of why she's not no. in witness protection. For a movie called Back in the Habit, that like that's the <laughs> subtitle. There is no reason for Whoopi to be back in the titular habit here. It's, it's because none, there's it's none. Because James Coburn's mean and will throw her out if she's not wearing a habit. So she's just going to pretend to be a nun? I feel like that's... So Wait, wait, wait. So James Coburn is the dumbest motherfucker alive because the whole thing in the first movie is she is, like, jeopardizing her own safety because she's getting famous with her singing nuns and how she's revitalized this church. So her her heartwarming gesture has actually endangered her life and the the lives of these other nuns. She's on the cover of fucking Rolling Stone. For the love of God, this is a major news story. She now has this huge Vegas show, and this guy's like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck this is. Her convent was down the street from you. How did you not know? This is the same neighborhood, same fucking convent. How do you not know who this person is? Are you a fucking ostrich? I don't Just think you should be looking for- fucking head the sand, man. Don't be looking for logic in this movie, Steve. I mean, a lot- ah, I, feel like, I feel like a lot of us here have experience with Catholicism, maybe even Catholic schools. Has anyone ever encountered like a bunch of guys dressed as Benedictine monks wandering around the premises? Because I sure as shit have not. I mean, times were tough. With sun hats. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Also, li- no, also ahead, in order Adam. to teach at a school, regardless of if it's a parochial school, you can't just be a fucking nun. You, you, you still have to have a teaching certification, which no one in the film yeah. would seemingly have. <laughs> I'd like to see their license. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of laziness in this film, one of my favorite things, like Steve, you mentioned, she has from from the first film, she's developed this like huge Las Vegas show. And literally her show is like this shitty like five second bite-sized pieces medley of like popular songs like this this would never play in vegas it is such a like absolutely lazy like their big thing is she flies like they tie some wires to her Uh, like it's it's literally it's a cover act like she's a cover band and that's basically it but she's like the hottest thing in the vegas strip and then she 
just ditches all that to go to pretend to be a nun in a school. Yeah. And again, dramatic conflict, teaching a bunch of kids who aren't that into music, but are also insanely talented. So it's fine. So once <laughs> they decide to like, oh, maybe singing's okay, they're all really good at it and they don't have to practice that much. Well, dude, yeah. the, her act is fucking amazing. All right. Like, <laughs> it's, it's just, just every single Motown hit. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> it's every single Motown song, except there's just, yeah, muscular dudes like the fucking American gladiators and like manlets coming out. It's just like, I will follow him wherever he may go. I want to fuck this big piece of steaky hunk meat. Like, that's the whole thing. And then just a guy comes out and he's like wearing a polka dot thong. And then she goes into like eensy weetsy polka dot bikini. And God damn it. This, this movie starts off real horny and hot. Okay. So, yeah. Speaking of dramatic conflict, like the, the, it, it goes on to be like the thrust of the thing is money, right? The church is going to go under. And uh, so they had to fundraise $2,000 to get into a choir competition that might feasibly save the fucking school, which. A, whoopee, we're supposed to take the end credits of the first film as, like, canonical, so she's, you know, she's been on the cover of several national magazines, she's a headliner of a Vegas act, she can't fucking fork over $2,000 to get these kids into a choir competition, for God's sake. <laughs> Steve, nope, she's broke. <laughs> Steve, um, didn't you have, Coleman, didn't you have, like, a, uh, did you have a second subtitle for this movie? Uh, I can't I remember. Remember, I feel like I yeah. heard. I thought it was like like Sister Act Two, Second to None, or something. Yeah, oh, something like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I actually remember seeing this Sister Act Two more often than Sister Act One because I had an art teacher from grade six until I was a senior in high school. He was an art teacher. He'd put this movie on at least once a month and we would just watch it in the background while we were working <laughs> on our sketches Jesus. and i never understood why and i thought well maybe because like lauren hill was in it and that would make the kids happy but it features a, it features a teacher's dream of a class who are quote-unquote unruly but literally the worst they do is tell yo mama jokes <laughs> I'm just thinking of like good alternate titles for you know maybe maybe these are potential new Sister Act movies. So like uh, what if was Sister Act three the new habit? Well, as, as a former Quaalude user, where Whoopi has to like just deal with being a nun and having like a serious drug addiction, or uh, I, I don't know, like or, or you could do you could do a Master of Nun spinoff where where Whoopi is is trying to navigate like dating in the 21st century but oops I'm a nun what do I do so a lot of a lot of options here I, I mean at this in this film we have to assume there's some kind of a sexual proclivity behind her deciding to dress like a nun um like I feel there's no other better script explanation besides the fact that a monk apparently will be mad uh, that doesn't that doesn't no. add up at all this movie really doubles down on on the the wholesome Jesusy stuff. Like it was, it was just sort of like you said. Like this Sister Act, the first one is not a very Catholic movie. It takes place at a Catholic church, and there's nuns, but there's not a lot of Catholicism going on. This one is is like very. It feels very religion forward. Even their song choices, like we're gonna do Motown again. Nope. Not we're doing oh happy day. That's the song we're gonna do it's it. It's like it's the like Lauren Hill's gonna sing. The great turn of this is basically is that like I mean what's 
uh, this film with Whoopi Goldberg at the center. And like, this is the film that she, it was, this film had to be conceived with Whoopi Goldberg, a black woman in the central role. And yet rap music is synonymous with decay in this film, basically, uh, until it's redeemed in the finale, but with the, the guys rapping for Jesus and there's kind of like this this shift, which is basically just like, you know, look, think about it like this. Kids who were into like rap and all that terrible music, like they may be talented enough to actually participate in good music too. Like, you know, <laughs> praising Jesus. Like there's this, this undercurrent. Like it is such an inherently conservative, racist film, classist film. It's the, uh, the lack of dramatic conflict comes around again. Like Lauren Hills as the, the prodigious student like, gee, imagine being able to sing like Lauren Hill and your mom comes in like, no, your dad sang and he died. So singing stupid. There's no money in it when your daughter sounds like Lauren Hill. Like it's an insane plot beat. But that's what it is. And then are they supposed to be poor? Because they, 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 they won't even show a, an apartment that looks like a poor person's apartment. It looks pretty, you know, middle class fine. There's no conflict in the film. Again, no sensible conflict. No, there's there's none. Uh, also, there's I'm, none? I'm deeply upset that you there's none. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Jack, I'm deeply upset that you suggested that this movie is racist because Whoopi Goldberg has never done a racist thing in her life Aha, ever. It's once. a Japanese joke. Very not funny, a single thing. She's an angel. <laughs> not not a single thing. None. Absolutely none. Uh, yeah, the, the Lauren Hill thing is weird too because, again, like all all the conflict here with the students and her, it's just. It's it's all accelerated. It, it, it just this insane pace. So it just kind of skims over any conflict that she would have. I thought we were gonna get into some real dangerous mind shit, but there's none of that. And also, I've never seen a movie that reeked more of written by a bunch of white guys. Like the the rapper in in the group of kids is just some. He looks like fucking Boy Meets World Sean Hunter. And <laughs> his whole thing is like his big scene is when he raps Mary had a little lamb. Meanwhile, the, the African liberation guy is like treated like a joke. Like he's supposed to just like oh, yeah. he just that drops away. It's like there's one kid and he's black and he's into being black and Africa and colonial wrongs against Africa. And it's like this joke thing of him being, I don't know, boring or something. And eventually just gives it up to sing yeah. about Jesus, which is. Yeah, it's, it's like the longest oh. running joke is is one he, like his whole thing is like, oh, like slavery was bad. He says that, and then everyone in the class is like, shut up, you Marcus Garvey bitch. Like that's the whole joke. <laughs> and then after that, they they move on from from that part of it to, oh, you think you're a big strong man, but you sing like a little weenie boy, so maybe sing better. <laughs> <laughs> It's a really wholesome film. Like, it's a wholesome film if you're a slightly racist to 60-year-old white person. And, like, as you point out, like, that's who wrote this, unquestionably. Yeah. Um, it, the whole film... Alternatively, hmm? it, it has it has some Flavor Flav energy. Uh, as a big fan of the uh, uh, reality dating show Flavor of Love, there's this whole <laughs> thing in the beginning of every season where Flavor of Love talk, or where Flavor Flav talks to each woman for 30 seconds and the woman's like, yeah, I, I like to make balloon animals. And then he has to give them a nickname for the show. So he's like, I'm gonna call you balloony. Cause you like balloons. Like that's the whole, everybody has a stupid nickname. And that's this, this movie does that too. Like there's a kid and he like drops some drawings that he made and, 
And he's just like, everybody calls me sketch because I draw pictures. <laughs> what? That's like, gr- oh, no, good. like that's that's clearly a commission. Rounded characters. Like Disney executives gather around like, what are the kids into? It's like, I've heard about graffiti art. And that was like clearly just insert like we can market this on a Kellogg's box. Yeah. You know, like color oh, listen, it uh, in. Have we considered uh, the... Uh, the African man. Have we considered calling that boy Blackie Blackenstein? I'm just throwing it out there. Come on. Like, just, just, the more, every, the more again, you put everyone it like is that, a fucking caricature. The more you put it like that, it sounds like a Putney Swope sequel. And God, we could use something like that. So much better this than would, the actual This would film. honestly be better if it just, if it swerved into Putney Swope territory, which great movie, by the way. You should watch Putney Swope instead of Sister Act 2 if you're looking for something to do. Uh... <laughs> Sean, do you have any uh, final thoughts on the the beauty of Sister Act 2? No, I mean, it just, you know, it has the legacy of the best subtitle probably in sequel history. <laughs> then it goes down from the hill from there, but uh, where else could it have gone? I, really, that's that's about it. I'm glad we finally Electric watched Boogaloo, this. Electric personally. But. No. Yeah, Electric Boogaloo is kind of that's that's pretty high up so, there. So can for we, me, this this is my first time watching it, so I was I was excited to see it. Yeah, Myros, go ahead. I don't think I've ever seen it either, frankly. I'm sure I've seen part of it on TV, but can we talk briefly about uh, the fact that Whoopi has has disparaged the directing careers of uh, not one but two beloved actors during the course of this episode? Yeah. We we have Bill Duke doing this piece of shit. After uh, doing, right. doing really the telephone, so notable uh, stuff previously. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, this movie I mean, is a weird one to make. Cause you can, like you all can be the, sure this made more money than anything else Bill Nunn ever directed. Bill Duke, Bill Duke not Bill Nunn. Bill Duke, Bill Duke, Bill Duke. <laughs> no, 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 She also... It's a better better choice right there. <laughs> <laughs> the pun built right in. Um, yeah, no, but like the structure of this is like all the beloved characters from the original are like fucking... I mean, they paid them all to return, but they're in the movie for like 10 seconds. It's like Maggie Smith yeah. is like just shows up and like nods and then goes away. It's like, what what the fuck? What is this movie even? And yeah, it, it seems to have been written in like the span of one night and it's just the laziest piece of shit ever. And yet was somehow uh, the film that made Whoopi Goldberg the highest paid actress in the history of film. It seems impossible. Mm. Like it's, it's insane. It would be like Tom Cruise getting paid twenty million to appear in like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Except I haven't seen that film, and I bet it's better written than this. Well, I mean, at least the legacy of Sister Act Two is this is Lizzo's favorite movie. So you got that, guys. So <laughs> I, I will say, in without my, Sister Act Two, would we have Lizzo? It, in the defenses film, and I, I was saying while I was watching, I do believe this points forward to some Pixar films like Wally, uh, in my opinion, in being a film uniquely where the end credits are better than the preceding film. The end credits in this are just basically a mu- <laughs> they're just basically a musical number, but there's a, there's a, an energy there that's quite nice. Uh, I mean, like it, the cast is insanely talented. Clearly, like there's so many excellent yeah. singers, and it's so the the singing is good. And the end credits is just a big musical number with the credits playing alongside it. And it frankly feels better integrated and fun than anything in the preceding film. And it was kind of like, man, maybe mm-hmm. they should have worked on that previously, you know, rather than closing it out with like, so huh. what I want to know before before we, we kind of close the book here on, on Sister Act 2, 
obviously big breakout role for Lauren Hill. Do you think her experience being taught by unlicensed nun teachers, uh, do you think that inspired the title of her debut album? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. Go ahead and laugh at my own joke for how fucking stupid that is. Yeah, that's thank you, Sean. Sean, I can tell that you're just like just like crying and slow clapping over there for me. So you're welcome for that. Mm-hmm. All right, boys, <laughs> we should probably wrap this up. Oh, Steve. So, uh, Myra. One more. What's that? Yeah. One Go more ahead. note, not on Sister Act two, but on Sister Act one. I feel like I would feel bad if I let this pass without mentioning it. Is that one of the trivia bits on here? Is that uh, uh, Pedro Almodovar turned down an offer to direct Sister Act? <laughs> yeah, I remember reading that. Um, His- and it's funny because he did a nun movie in the eighties, early eighties, called uh, Dark Habits. Uh, is the translation about uh, a convent? of nuns that like do heroin and take in people of, or women of lesser means. Uh, it's not one of his best movies, but uh, I wonder if that's why he got the invite. <laughs> so like, this man knows how to I, like I nuns. <laughs> yeah. Did, did like Bruno Mattei or anybody get any offers too, just cause they had nun movies in their, in their arsenal. Like it's like, Oh, well, uh, this guy did uh, the the other half, so uh, I guess uh, we're gonna have to go with that. And uh, you know, nunsploitation was hot in the seventies. Let's get one of these Italian guys. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. That would have been an interesting movie. I, I would have paid good money to see that. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, I, I, it was not have, meant to be. I have it pulled up the because uh, I remember tweeting about this at one point. Uh, um. Back in the early 90s, blah, 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 Touchstone wanted him to do the movie, but on balance, he has decided he's better off in Madrid. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no good. doubt. Uh, I agree. But um, Yeah, anytime Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg calls, you're, you're, you're better off in Madrid. <laughs> but they, 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 he could have called it uh, Back in the Dark Habits. See, that would have been great. There's a tie in here. We're just not, and, and we could just assume that all the nuns are doing heroin off screen. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, it was not meant to be. All right, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I uh, I don't do much these days. But I, what with the spring sale on, on video game stuff and quarantine business, it's I, I'm kind of searching for some uh, chill out stuff that, that gives me little to no stress. And I I recently got. Uh, game called burnout paradise which is a, an older racing game that is just uh a lot of fun it's, it's you crash just, cars uh, yeah you just smash into things it's all about smashing cars and it's it's very fast mm-hmm. and it, it, it doesn't yeah. take any uh, brain power it's, it's a fun time good for decompressing after watching whoopi goldberg's the telephone absolutely uh, it was jack- a perfect <laughs> antidote <laughs> jack what are you putting over this week I, I'm going to put over a movie I just watched recently called Savage Dawn, which has been fairly recently released on Blu-ray by Veneer Syndrome, and it is an amazing rescue. It's from, I think, 1985, so it's not even that old. Um, Basically, a biker movie, a lone soldier wanders into a desert town. Uh, that soldier, played by Lance Henriksen, uh, meets up with his old war buddy, George Kennedy, who's in a wheelchair but designs weapons. <laughs> and uh, literally, um, 
Oh god, Will Forsyth plays the bad guy, or Bill Forsyth. I can't remember. Can't remember which he goes by. Um, he 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 plays the head biker Pig Iron, who uh, runs a biker gang <laughs> that are taking over the town for no particular reason. Karen Black is in it too. Uh, it is just a star-studded. Like the just the depth of cult casting here is phenomenal. The uh, the uh, it's it's basically like, uh, I guess if all biker movies are kind of like a revisionist western in one way or another. This is kind of like a revisionist western, but like more than any other biker movie I've ever seen, this is more Sergio Leone in it. It's just got it thinks, but they get a tank at one point. The bikers graduate to owning a tank. It kicks ass. Uh, it's very <laughs> clumsily staged. At one point, they set a man on fire, and the man has to stand very still while they do it for a long period of time. Uh, at safety first. I mean, full credit to them. Uh, really ridiculous film. Um, wholly recommend it. So check it out. Wait, wait, Jack. Did you say this stars right. Karen Black, the star Karen. of Homer and Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is just a few years before. <laughs> <laughs> Homer! <laughs> Homer! Take good care of her! <laughs> I'm never going to get tired of hitting these buttons. It's going to be cool in like 50 episodes from now where I'm still slamming the Homer drop every 30 seconds. That's going to feel good for people, I think. Uh, Col- Coleman, what are you putting over this week? Oh, um, Slam Dunk Ernest. <laughs> great choice always great i'm i'm losing it here guys lesser known like, in the earnest uh, canon well i had to download the goddamn voodoo for um burglar <laughs> and i dug back into slam dunk earnest this past week my oh my is it problematic <laughs> hard to imagine like more so than Ernest goes to africa i just started that one i'll get back to you on that next week <laughs> <laughs> something to look forward to good. rather than the yeah. movies well it looks like we're, we're we're officially doing an earnest cast uh <laughs> we're gonna go through all the earnest movies so that's gonna have to happen sean's excited sean you own all the earnest movies on dvd is that correct uh i think i recently donated a large chunk of them that's good it's good to give poor people something good in their life during these these difficult times so i'm glad you did that that was very nice of you very kind and I'm going to put over uh, Top Chef because it's been getting me through the quarantine. <laughs> I think you put over Top Chef for the last episode. I thought too. I put over Driller Killer for some reason. Oh, maybe you did. Maybe you did. I think no, you've just been sure like consistently Chef. putting God over. God damn it. Yeah, maybe. I think we, yeah, we talked about Top Chef. That happened. We also, we also talked about Driller Killer, though, so that's fine. Put over Driller Killer and Top Chef, okay, preferably you know back what? to back. I think that's the best way to watch it. I think uh, I will put over Top Chef Season 6. This time, mm, mm, good one. Yeah, I think last time it was season three, so that makes. I sense. also watched. I'm I also moving through these. I also finally watched Michael Mann's Black Hat because uh, I was able to, to get the director's cut, and it's just uh, phenomenal, and has been sitting with me for a long time. So um, that's another one. Awesome. Well, I'm putting over Guy's Grocery Games, uh, Guy Fieri doing Supermarket <laughs> Sweep. It's pretty. No, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm actually. I'm going to put over a movie called truck turner so it's a black exploitation movie from like 74 i want to say uh stars isaac hayes it's got a kick-ass soundtrack it's basically a brisk 90 minutes of isaac hayes with a giant dirty harry style gun just shooting motherfuckers constantly it's 
really well paced. It's super fun. It's genuinely funny and really well directed too. I, I looked up the director. His name is escaping me right now, but it's like, oh man, I bet this guy's done some awesome shit. And it's a lot of things I've never heard of. And then it's like, and his last movie was Broke Down Palace, which is like a thriller from 1997. Yeah. That is not very yeah, that's good. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, Truck Turner. If if you have any passing interest in black exploitation, even if you've seen some or other black exploitation movies, you're like, ah, Shaft is kind of boring because Shaft is kind of boring. I highly recommend Truck Turner. It's I think it's a it's a good jumping off point if you want to kind of dip your toes into the world of black exploitation. So that's what I'm telling you to watch. All right. Well, I'd say that wraps things up. So if you are enjoying the Whoopathon, if you're enjoying the podcast, please click the link in the description to this podcast. Go to our iTunes page, rate and review the podcast. We got a we got a five star review, a written review. The other day, or not the other day, maybe it was last month. I don't know. It's the newest one that we've gotten. But uh, it was something about like Adam Myros wearing a costume or something like that. So that's fine. I don't care what the fuck you write. Just write something and give us five stars. I don't give a fuck. Uh, please do that. Click it. Well, I'm takes a little two disturbed seconds. by this whole turn of events. <laughs> yeah. Check check the iTunes page. But whatever it is, we're going to make it happen. We got we to gotta make the, the listeners happy. So... Yeah, make sure you do that. If you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros is sitting with the inbox open, hitting refresh every 10 seconds. Uh, additionally, you can find us on Twitter at optimismvaccine. Uh, you can find me there at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C-U-F-F. Adam Myros, not a Twitter user, just an email inbox looker. Uh, Stephen Coleman, not much of a Twitter user. You can yell at him, but he's probably not going to listen. Uh, Jack, where do we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Real Jack Eason. That's Real Jack E A S O N. Uh, I'm too much on Twitter. Don't message me. I yeah. should get off. It's bad. Yeah, fucking log off, man. Uh, Sean, well, if people, people want to yell at you, where's the best place? Uh, <laughs> where's Sean, the best place to yell at you, Sean? Sean Glennis on Letterboxd. There you go. All right. Well, that wraps up episode two of the Whoopathon. And we'll be back because the whoopee never ends, baby. It just keeps going. Can I stay and talk a while longer? We had a nice talk already. <laughs> I can't see you gapping all night. Be off with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>